Please take your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses to begin with, not spending a lot of time on these verses because for the past two Sundays we've been looking in some detail at these verses, but today we're going to complete this emphasis on marriage that God has led us to consider from His Word thus far and pray that God will give us even further insight and incentive to be the kind of mate we are to be in the marriage relationship. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, reading from the New American Standard Bible. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. When Moses recounts the creation of the universe and our own earth, He concludes this statement, after the sixth day, God rested. But before God rested, He beheld all of His creation. And God said that everything He had made was very good. It was perfect. Sin had not entered the world yet. Therefore, it was perfect. Fast forward to the second chapter of the book of Genesis in verse 18. And the first thing that God said was not good was the fact that man was alone. God says, it is not good that man is alone, for there is no suitable helper for him. And the word suitable means no corresponding helper. And we know who that became. Who was that? Eve became that suitable corresponding person or piece to the man himself, Adam. Women are complements, not supplements, in the context of a Christian marriage. Men are in somehow, some way, out of sync without a wife. Now, I understand that the Bible gives allowance that there are going to be people who are given the gift of singlehood, actually. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 teaches about that, but ordinarily, We who are male and we who are female are incomplete without each other. And therefore, Adam's wife Eve was his completer, his corresponding part. The two became one flesh. Very important for us to understand. Well, we know sin entered the world. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that. And there were some consequences for sin. There are still consequences for our sin. And the Scripture says that Adam received a certain consequence, the earth itself received a certain consequence, as did Eve. She received a consequence, and the first of which was that she would experience pain in childbirth. And I'm sure you women who have given birth to children, naturally especially, you understand how wonderful it would be if there were not pain associated with it. But was it worth it, ladies? Well, yeah, it was worth it, but you didn't enjoy it in the moment, right? And then the Word of God goes on to say there in Genesis 3.16 that her desire would be for her husband and her husband would rule over her. For many years, I can't tell you how many, I labored in ignorance as to what that first line I just mentioned meant. Her desire would be for her husband. When I looked at it more carefully, what I concluded was, based on the way in which that same word is used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where the Scripture talks about how 
Cain was downcast, is what the Bible says in that passage. And he was angry and God came to him and said, Be careful, Cain. This is my paraphrase. Be careful, Cain, because sin is crouching at the door to control you. Sin desires you. The same word that God uses in relationship to Eve, that part of the consequence of her sin would be that she would want to have her husband control her husband. So, why was woman created? To complement Adam. To bring fulfillment to his being. Not to supplement, but to complement. And then what happened as a result of the fall is, there was a turn that she took. She was wanting to control him. God's will is for wives to complement their husbands. To bring wholeness into their husband's life. And it could be said from the other side, it's true for men in relationship to their wives as well. In this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, those who know Jesus, who are female and married, have an incredible, if not unconventional way of influencing their husbands. They can influence their husbands, this is just hard to imagine, without saying a word. With simply, by their chaste and respectful behavior, they will have this influence. And the key to that in this passage is a gentle and quiet spirit. Scholars differ as to what that last phrase means, a gentle and quiet spirit. But I am saying today that I am confident that it's referring not to spirit with a little s, but with spirit with a capital S. The gentle and quiet Holy Spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Why do I say that? Well, we looked last week in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, where Jesus is described as the living stone, the cornerstone in the church. And remember, Jesus is God the Son. And the Spirit of God is God the Spirit, just like God the Father is God the Father. It's the Trinity. But what the Bible says, God the Father views Jesus, His Son, the God-man, He views Him as precious in His sight. Wouldn't it stand to reason that God the Father would also view Holy Spirit as precious in His sight? And so, a woman has this incredible, it's incredible not in the sense that it's unbelievable, but it's just wonderful to think how a woman indwelled by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, has the capability of being a change agent in her husband's life. And I know there's more than one woman here today who is laboring in a difficult marriage. I don't know who you are, but in a crowd this side, there have to be many such women. And you want a life with a spouse in Christ that's governed by Christ. And you've tried everything you could to this point to acquire that unsuccessfully. Well, the good news is, God has the answer for you. And I'm not trying to formulate anything. I'm just trying to lead us today to look at what God says about the marriage relationship, especially from the responsibility of a wife. Last week we saw how a man needs to understand his wife in First Peter 3, 7. The Scripture says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Know your wife. And we looked at the three areas that your wife needs you to understand about her. She needs your honor. She needs your protection. And she also needs harmony in your relationship and in your home. So, without saying more, let's go and look what your husband's needs are. There are four that I'm going to mention. There are probably many more. And some of these overlap. Some of them are almost like two sides of the same coin. But I'm going to give you four words. Married women here today or women who anticipate being married someday regarding how you can meet your husband's needs. Here they are. First of all, admiration. Secondly, affirmation. Thirdly, appreciation. And finally, affection. Let's begin with admiration. As we read from Ephesians chapter 5, the Scripture says that wives must respect their husbands. That's a bitter pill to swallow for some of you because you don't find much to respect in your husband. But just as it's incumbent upon a Christian husband to love his wife 
as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for the church, so women unconditionally are to respect their husbands. They're to admire their husbands. Specifically, respect your husband's judgment. Men recoil at their wives questioning their knowledge or arguing with their decisions. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder why, if you've had that experience with your husband, you challenge him and all of a sudden he just kind of bows up on you. And you think, where in the world did that come from? Well, it came from deep within him. And I'm not talking about his sinful side. There can be sinfulness associated with sort of this bowing up, as I described it. But it's something that really is a response to a deep feeling which occurs in a husband when his judgment is questioned by his wife. Wives, do you know that most, if not nearly all men, feel that their opinions are valued more at their workplace or in some other area of life than at home? And men resent that. And they resent it because they have in them this calling to be a leader in the family. It's deeply embedded in their lives. And we saw how they're to lead already today and last week. They're to lead with sensitivity, not pulling the submission card on their wives. That's for the wife to know from the Lord and understand this is her calling and to submit to you out of reverence for Christ and therefore being able to submit to you. Men are subject to being negative in their response to arguing with them or questioning their knowledge on a subject. Now, we know that many women have better knowledge and greater decision-making powers, but follow the Lord as your husband seeks to follow Him by leading you. Here's the second way that women need to respect their husbands. Christian women respect His abilities. I love this story told about a man and his wife who were on a trip. They were traveling east on I-10. They were circumventing New Orleans. They were on their way to Jacksonville, Florida, the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. They were going there, and this man was notoriously poor when it came to following directions. He had a poor sense of direction. His wife was just the opposite. She was dead on when it came to knowing how to get someplace. And consequently, when they drove, he loved to drive, couldn't navigate where the hoot. She was a good navigator. So she said every time before they started, now, honey, I'm going to give you directions. If you follow them, we won't have the problem we've had every time we've taken a trip, and that's getting lost. And as they were traveling around the outskirts of New Orleans, she was just about to go to sleep. She said, honey... I am about to go to sleep. If I give you some directions, are you promising me that you will follow them and when I wake up, we won't be off course? And he said, sure, honey, you can relax, go to sleep, take a nap. I've got it. I'm to stay on I-10 all the way to Jacksonville and we'll have to stop and get gas before we get there and you'll wake up and everything will be great. She took a certain amount of relief in that and she fell asleep. About two hours later, she awoke And when she rubbed her eyes, looked at the road sign, it said Interstate 55. She was going north with her husband. And she says, honey, you didn't follow the directions. We're lost again. And he looked at her and smiled and said, yes, but we sure are making good time, aren't we? (laughs) It's all about making progress for men, even though it's not real progress. Well... Husbands show their love for figuring things out in their unwillingness to stop and ask for directions sometimes. That's just built into us as men. We're on a mission, right men? We're focused, even though we may be focused in the wrong direction. We're going that way. And if you happen to have such a husband, maybe you've been looking for some place you've never been before, you've been invited by some new friends to come to their home for some social occasion. You've gotten the directions, and GPSs work wonderfully nowadays. 
So this is not so relevant to most of you because most of you men have a GPS. But have you been and you've just gone around in circles? You've tried this way. You've tried that way. And you're telling your husband, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. He said, I know. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. And your husband is so intent upon figuring things out. This is the way God made men. Not that they're always lost, but they're always trying to figure a way out. Isn't that right, guys? We want to figure it out. Whatever we're going to do, we're wanting to figure it out. What goes through the mind of your husband when you question his judgment or his abilities, and this illustration is a small thing, I understand that, but this could go through his mind. If my wife doesn't trust me in this small thing, she won't trust me in the big things either. So respect your husband's judgment, respect his abilities, and respect him in communication with him. Don't hound him. Many of you have a husband who is a procrastinator when it comes to things which you believe are to be done in order to show that he values you. He honors you. He wants to protect you. He wants harmony. Sometimes you're thinking, why don't you do it? And so you begin to hound him with these things. And this, once again, is read as disrespect from your male mate. Let me encourage you ladies to venture out a little bit. I asked the men to write down some questions last week and ask you about them and ask how they were doing, asking your help. This is your opportunity to ask for, for, ask for help. If you would dare to do so, ask your husband, Honey, what are some things that I do or don't do which are signs of disrespect to you? Would you be kind enough to tell me those things? And he'll tell you, hopefully. Men, tell her. If she asks, tell her. And ladies, construct a disrespect meter for yourself. Just evaluate and ask the Lord to help you not to disrespect your husband, recognizing the importance of that to him. And by the way, the power of respecting a man is incredible. What you do to your husband when you respect him is incredible. Here's how it's incredible. In Ephesians 5, the passage which we looked at, we are told that the husband is not only to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, but the husband is to love his wife as he loves himself. Now, let's begin to evaluate this. Husbands love their wives. Women, as a rule, love to be honored by their husbands. They want to be adored by their husbands. They want to be first in their husbands' minds and hearts. Men do not get their sense of self-esteem from being adored. They get their self-esteem from being admired. And there's one woman, I know I'm being repetitive here, there's one person and one woman only who has been given this great power over another man, particularly their husband. It's the woman who shows genuine respect for her husband. And what that does, it bolsters his self-esteem. And that enables him to have a proper love for himself. Remember, husbands love your wives as you love yourself. Let's say instead of respect coming from you, your husband gets disrespect. Guess what that's going to do to his self-esteem? Is it going to cause it to go up? It's going to go down and down and down and down. And so, what does that do to his capacity to love you? It goes down and down and down. Do you see the correlation, ladies and men? Do you see the correlation here? How God is protecting you and calling you to respect your husband, to admire him. Because if you really do the way God would have you to do, and you have the power to do that, because the Spirit of God lives in you, if you know Jesus Christ, then you will be used to build your husband up, and in turn, he will be more able to love you the way God would have him to love you. God's psychology beats any other psychology imaginable, doesn't it? Well, let me illustrate this out of cinema. Uh, Some of you are old enough to remember the movie The Natural, Robert Redford. I like Robert Redford a lot, not as much as some of you women do, but I like him a lot. (laughs) 
he's has been one of my favorite actors over the decades. But in The Natural, this is perhaps my favorite movie. Either that one or Jeremiah Johnson. I like that one a lot too. I really am drawn to that one. That appeals to the man in me. But the baseball deal appeals to the man in me too. You remember the story? He was an aspiring and very promising baseball star. Something happened. He went off the scene for a while. Then he made a comeback. He met a lady and he was in love with her. She had been in a relationship with someone before. There was the probability of their becoming a pair, a husband-wife team. During the course of the season, his skills skyrocketed, and he was used to propel a team which was a run-of-the-mill team to a team that was contending for the league championship. But he went into a slump like so many batters do. The best of baseball's hitters enter into slumps from time to time. He was in such a slump. And one day at the park, it was a daytime game, and he came up for the fourth time, the first three times he had whiffed, 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 nothing. And when he came up for the fourth time, you'll remember this scene, a smattering of boos began to grow. And it went almost to a crescendo. And all of a sudden, the cameraman pans the audience and focuses on the character played by Glenn Close, his love interest. And amidst all those boos, she stands up. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't call out his name. She just stands up. And he glances to where he knows she would be sitting. And he sees her. And it was her sign of respect. Everyone else is booing. But she is acknowledging her respect and admiration for him. And what did he do? I got a chill here. He, <laughs> he stands to the plate. And he knocks it out of the park and wins a game. Now... That's a metaphor for what your respect for your husband does for him. When everybody else may be booing him, everybody else sees nothing of value in him. But if you respect him, he'll be able to hit a home run in life. He'll be the kind of man you want him to be. Do you see the importance, ladies, of admiring your husband? Do you see why God calls you to do that? That's what your husband needs. That's what God calls you to. Admiration. The second word, affirmation. Why does your husband need your affirmation? Well, let me quote a man about whom I read in a book on this matter of wives being agents of empowerment to their husbands. He said, the male ego is the most fragile thing on earth. Now, that was a man who said that, not a woman. A man who said that. And he's close to understanding this. It's true. Two out of three men interviewed in a scientific study done by a Christian female sociologist, two out of three men said they felt insecure. That's amazing. In this room, if we're a normal room... Two out of three men have some degree of insecurity in their lives. Now, let me stop here just a moment. Do you have to remain insecure, man? Do you? No. God does not want you to remain in a place of insecurity. He has the answer for you and for me in this. It was a great revelation to me from God's Word. We get direction and insight from God's Word, not from pop psychology. We get it from the Word of God. Read and study Psalm 139 where David says this about himself. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He sounds like a rooster crowing about how great he is. But understand, made. Who made him? He saw who it was who made him. He understood that God had a plan for his life. Look, our sense of worth is to be found in knowing God. Not knowing more about ourselves, but knowing God. The Bible says in Jeremiah 9, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Isn't that where we boast, men? That's where we look for security in how intelligent we are, in how strong we are, how wealthy we are. We measure ourselves by those standards. Isn't it true, men? That's the world's way of measurement. Now, it's not wrong to be wise. If you're wise, where did you get the wisdom? You got it from God, right? If you're strong, where did you get it? You got the capacity to get strong from God. 
And if you got wealth, Deuteronomy 8.18 says that you got it from God. You had to work for it. Yeah, but He gave you the power to work. He opened doors for you. You know, if you're honest, that there are men in your industry or your profession who worked more hard than you did. But they didn't have the success that you had. Sometimes you puzzle over that. But the key for us men to insecurity is in our relationship with God. Knowing God. That is the answer. Well, the fact that two out of three men feel insecure explains in part why they work so long and so hard. Because they're insecure. They're afraid that their peers and their superiors will think they can't cut it. They're namby-pamby. They're ruled by their wives or whatever. Big deal. It's not the way to look at this thing. What drives men's insecurity? Deep down, this is what men think, ladies. We don't know how you think, but you don't know how we think either. They think, I'm always being evaluated. Always being evaluated. I read about a man named Frank McGuire who served in JFK's White House. He became a right-hand man for Fred Smith, the founder of FedEx. FedEx was booming. And every Friday evening when he would go check in with the CEO of FedEx, who was a close friend of his, I might add, they would exchange pleasantries. Fred would say, hope you have a great week, Frank. Bye. But this particular Friday he came in, and this is what Fred Smith said to him. I need to see you first thing Monday, Frank. That was it. And what went to, guys, what do you think came into his mind when he heard that? I need to see you first thing Monday. What do you think? What, what did I do? Exactly. He got nervous. He felt insecure. Now, this is a man who worked for the President of the United States, and he felt insecure. That is a normal reaction for us as men. I'm always being evaluated. We fear failure, don't we, men? It's a great motivator, by the way, the fear of failure. It motivates us. It's not the best motivator, but it's reality, isn't it, guys? It is. I read about a professional football player, all-pro lineman, offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers. His name Ken Rutgers. And he, after retiring, helped others who were retiring from the NFL. And it's a short career, isn't it? Just a few years. The average career is probably less than five years for an NFL player. And what he helps men do when they retire out of the NFL to find their place, to kind of go in the right direction, to find that their identity is not in being a professional football player. It's not being an athlete. There's another life after football. And this is what he said. He said, I have never seen so much insecurity than in an NFL locker room. He said, we're all on the replacement list. That's being evaluated to a higher level, man. Because every season, the season begins today. I know the Broncos won on Thursday night, but everybody else is playing today. And what happens every summer when camp starts, and even in the preseason mini camps, when those camps occur, every player is under the microscope. And the team is a business. They're looking for someone who can perform and make money for the owner, right? And so there's so much insecurity. Understand, ladies, this is the world in which your husband lives. If you do not affirm him, he will find it somewhere else. It could be through a relationship with another woman. Always a sin, men, to be involved with someone other than your wife. In a relationship. Always. So don't mishear what I'm saying. Your wife doesn't push you there. But she can help you not to go there. And that's what I'm saying to you wives. You can help your husbands not to go there. Because he needs affirmation. In Proverbs 7, verses 21 and 22, the Bible describes the adulteress. And the Bible suggests strongly that the adulteress uses enticing words. And I might interpret that a little bit. She affirms the man, and he follows her to her bed. Understand this, men. 
Don't give in to those sweet nothings that someone other than your wife might say to you. Don't be enticed. But women, understand the place that your husband needs to be enticed is in your home by you. God wants you to affirm your husband. He needs it. Remember, we have fragile egos. And we need that kind of encouragement from our wives. There's a figure in Scripture. Her name is Abigail. Her story is found in 1 Samuel 25. It's a great story. I wish we had time to read it in detail, but let me try to summarize it. Abigail was married to a man named Nabal. His name appropriately was Fool. He was a fool. He was a very wealthy fool, I might add. He had over 400 head of sheep and or goats. He was a man of means and a man who was respected in his community. It was rural in nature, but people liked him because he had a lot of money and they liked gathering around him. David was a fugitive at this time. He was running for his life from King Saul who wanted to kill him. And David had 600 men who were following him. They needed provisions. That's a lot of mouths to feed. And so he sent 10 of his men to Nabal. And through these men, he asked Nabal for provisions. He told the men to let Nabal know that for months... Those men, among others, had been taking care of his flock, watching over the shepherds under the hire of Nabal to make sure there were no rustlers to come in and take away the goats and the sheep. And the message was delivered. Nabal looked at them and said, Who's David? And who is Jesse? Jesse the father, because they introduced David as David the son of Jesse. Who's Jesse? There are lots of these people out here who are trying to get something for nothing from me. They know I'm rich and they're just freeloading. Go tell your boss to look somewhere else. And they did. They took the message back to David and no sooner did he hear those words than he strapped his sword on. And he told 400 of the 600 men to do likewise. He says, we're going to go and we're going to find the camp of Nabal and there's not going to be a male left living And so they were fired up. Testosterone was high among those guys. And they go and they find Nabal. Not quite. Why? Here's why they didn't quite find him. is because Abigail, who had not heard the conversation between the delegation of ten whom David had sent and Nabal, but she knew her husband. And when the servants told her what had happened, she began to tell them, do this. And she gave them orders to get food. And put them on animals. She got on her donkey and she, without hesitation, the scripture says, made a beeline to try to meet David before he got to the camp, which was her home. She found David and this is what she did. She, seeing him, says she bowed to the ground. Now, I don't suggest you do this, women, when you go home. So don't mishear what I'm saying. But she showed admiration for David. David was not the king. But she showed admiration for him. Very wise on her part. Then she affirmed him. Do you know how she affirmed him? She saw, envisioned greatness for him. And she said as much. She gave a prophetic statement about what was going to happen in his life. And so David thanked her. He saw in her great wisdom. And the Bible says earlier in the passage she was both intelligent and beautiful. You know the thing that appealed to David? was not her intelligence or her beauty. It was her spirit. It was the Spirit of God, I think, communicating through her to David. She went back, told Nabal what had happened. Nabal was suffering from a hangover from a drunken party the night before, and he suffered a stroke. Ten days later, he died. Word got back to David, who had returned to his men with the provisions provided by Abigail. He'd gone back and he got word that Nabal had died. You know what he did? He sent a messenger telling Abigail, I want you for my wife. It helped that she started right admiring and affirming him. Now she had some skin in the game there. She didn't know what was going to happen to Nabal. And she was protecting her family too. We know that. But there's great illustration in this. Now here's the third thing. What do you need first? As a man, men, what do we need? We need admiration from our wives, don't we? 
Ladies, you're the one who can give it. What do we need, men? We need affirmation. Women, you're the one who can give this to your husband. Appreciation is the third word. Only one in four men in America feel appreciated in their home. Now, I could go various directions here, but I'm only going to deal with one. Appreciated for providing. They don't feel appreciated for providing. Do you know how strong an impulse God has built into us males to provide for our family? Uh, uh, the same group of men who were surveyed, 78%, even though their wives' income would be enough to care for the whole family, 78% of the men polled, 80% almost, said, I still feel a strong compulsion to take care of my family by providing for them. I wonder if there are other men besides me who have that strong compulsion. I want to take care of my family. From an early age, I don't remember when it first occurred to me. I was in my teen years. It was not in my 20s. In my teen years, I began to think about having a family of my own. I began began to think about marrying. I didn't have anyone in particular in mind, but I wanted to be a family man. I wanted to have a wife, and I wanted to have a family of children. I wanted to take care of them. My father had modeled that for me. It was so appealing. There was something very manly about that. And there's something in us as men that drives us to want to take care of our wives. 71% of those men polled on this matter of providing for their family says that this idea of needing to provide for their family is always or often at least on their minds. I can attest to that too. It's on my mind a lot. Now, why should you show appreciation to your husband? Because he feels purposeful when he's providing. Remember, we get our sense of self-worth. How, ladies? Men do. How do we get it? From what we do, not who we are. What we do. That's why when men meet each other, when they begin to discuss matters with each other, it's not long in the conversation before the question arises from one party or the other. What do you do? Have you noticed that, guys? It's true, isn't it? It's not who are you. We're interested in what you do. And you need to understand that your husband feels purposeful when he's providing. Also, your husband wants to be needed by you. It's hard for him to say it to you, but he wants to be needed by you. So, appreciate him for wanting to work hard. A primary means for a man to say, I love you to his wife, is to provide for her. Listen to what one man's testimony was in this regard. My job is to worry about providing so my wife doesn't have to. That's one way I show her I love her. This is in our hearts, ladies. This is in our hearts. And it's important that we have opportunity to express that to you. Providers often feel trapped. Ironically, we have this strong compulsion, but we sometimes feel a little bit trapped. And the reason for that is we feel like we need to earn two incomes. One for the present and one for the future. We're going to retire someday. At least we hope we will someday, right? We're going to wear out. We're going to need to retire. But we've got to work. We've got to save. We've got to have enough resources so that when that time comes, we're ready. Now, a word to you men and to the women secondarily in this matter. Here's the word to us men. The Bible tells us that whatever a man has... He has received from heaven in John 3.28. I don't have anything material that I did not receive from the Lord. And Paul picks up on this theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 4.7 where he says this, What do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. Everything I have in the way of possessions, I got it from the Lord. I am a steward. I am a manager of what He's given me materially. It's not mine. I've been bought with a price. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ, man? Have you been redeemed from sin by Jesus Christ? 
The Bible says, what do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. If you are saved, redeemed by the blood of Christ, you belong to Him. Therefore, everything in your possession is His. We manage what He's given to us in a way that will honor Him. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to us. We can exhale. This doesn't mean that we quit working. In fact, Christians ought to be the hardest working men wherever there are Christians. The best employees, the most dependable, on time, early, willing to stay after work. That's what we are to be characterized by. But the promise of God is our basic needs are going to be met. And what my experience has been, that's been true. But even more as we follow the Lord. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous man will prosper. God sees to it. In Proverbs 3, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. I take that as a promise from God to me. I will honor God with what He gives to me to manage and I will give to Him as He leads me to give. In addition to that, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, the Bible says, A generous man will himself also be blessed. Why? Because he shares his food with the poor. Guys, we can relax in terms of worrying. You know, I've lived a long time. And God has taken care of me first 21 years through my father. The last i got to do my math here. 45 years. It's hard to say it even. i have kind of stuck here in my throat. The last 45 years, it's been me. But it really hasn't been me. It's been the Lord as I've trusted the Lord. And I, I, I so delight in the provision of my Father in heaven. It is such a joy to think about the ways over the course of my last 45 years when I was a man on an island and I was put in that position to provide for my wife and eventually my children, to see how He has done it over and over and over again in ways I would never have dreamed of. But I've never been unable to meet an obligation financially. I've never been without food. I've had more than I ever deserved This is the kind of father we have. We just have to trust in him. So what are you to do, dear sister in Christ? Well, if you have a habit of complaining about the long hours that your husband works, be grateful that he wants to work and provide. And then ask your husband, if you don't have a budget in your home, say, honey, could we sit down and establish a budget and agree on it? And then I'll stick to it. And I'll support you in what you do. And when money gets tight, and maybe your husband gets uptight because money's tight, then you can say to him, Honey, we can get through this together. Remember what the Word of God says. That we're to cast our cares on the Lord and He cares for us. Remember the Bible says, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He's going to take care of us, honey. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. The Bible says that we're to bear one another's burdens. Ladies, your husband needs you. He needs you to come alongside of him and help him to bear the burden of the care of your family. You can do that. God will use you in a mighty way to encourage him. Thank him regularly. Even if you're making more money than he is, thank him when he brings his paycheck home. It'll do wonders for him, and eventually it'll do wonders for you too. Here's the last thing, affection. And this has to do with the way that you relate to your husband in the physical relationship of intimacy in marriage. And some women think this way, and I can understand why. Isn't sex just a biological need? Well, it's biological. Be sure of that. It's biological. But it's an emotional need your husband has. You'd be surprised how impactful a responsive wife's life is to her husband in his emotions. It's 
absolutely necessary for emotional well-being for a man in marriage to have his wife who wants to be with him in the physical sexual relationship. It's not dirty. God thought it up. It was his idea. And he wants that. Listen to what one leader of a company said in this matter of his emotional well-being. He said, what happens in the bedroom affects how I feel the next day at the office in the boardroom. It does. And don't ask us how. We don't know. We just know it's true. It's unbelievable. I wish you could be a man. Not really, but... I mean, you'd have to get inside of us to understand how this works. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. When you respond to your husband in intimacy physically with him, he feels loved by you. He lives with a deep sense of loneliness. In intimacy with you as his wife, is the greatest cure. Men, statistics show that most men feel lonely. They're not like you. You find ways of expressing yourself with other ladies. And women are awesome relationally. We lag behind as a rule. And 77% of men say their emotional well-being depends upon their wife's accessibility in the physical relationship and enjoying the relationship, not thinking it's just something we got to do. I got to tick it off and go on to do something else. Ask God to give you a certain degree of pleasure in that relationship. Lack of that relationship causes deep wounding. This is what man wrote. One man wrote, if he were saying to his wife, "What happened if she rejected him in this way?" You are incapable of satisfying me, is what she would say. And I really don't care about what matters deeply to you. Now, ladies, do you want your husband to care about what matters deeply to you? Why, sure you do. You know how it feels when he doesn't? That's how he feels when you push him away. What to do? Well, love him according to his need. Be engaged Make your sexual relationship a priority. I want to read from this book entitled For Women Only. It's a great book. I'll give you three titles of books that I've read in preparation for this mini-series on understanding one's mate. This is a quotation taken from Today's Christian Woman. The authoress is anonymous. She said, I felt what I did all day was meet other people's needs, whether it was caring for my children, working in ministry, or washing my husband's clothes. By the end of the day, I wanted to be done need meeting. Any women feel like that? I wanted my pillow and a magazine. What God prompted me are the needs, in quotation marks, you meet for your husband, the needs he wants met. If our daughters weren't perfectly primped, he didn't complain. If the kitchen floor needed mopping, he didn't say a word. And if he didn't have any socks to wear, he simply threw them in the washer himself. I soon realized I regularly said no to the one thing he asked of me. I sure wasn't making myself available to my husband by militantly adhering to my plan for the day. Would the world end if I didn't get my tires rotated? I'd been so focused on what I wanted to get done and what my children needed, I had cut my hubby out of the picture. Don't do that. Dear lady, in relationship to your husband, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7 that my body as a husband doesn't belong to me, nor does my wife's body as a wife belong to her. We belong to each other. First and foremost, we belong to the Lord, right? And the Lord tells us, don't punish your mate, whether you're a male or a female, by withholding yourself from him or her. Take care of your appearance. Men like you to look good. You don't need to look like some Hollywood starlet. Just take care of yourself. And then here's an appeal to all women, not just those who are married. Champion modesty in yourself and other women. This helps us a lot. We are visually stimulated. That's no secret. That doesn't mean that we're some kind of pervert because we're stimulated by beautiful women. 
But what it does say is that we are vulnerable in this area. And you can help us not stumble by the way you dress. It helps us a lot. Be sensitive to your brothers in Christ, not the least of whom, in fact, who is at the top of your list if you're married, your husband. Well, this is a statement that came out of the first century. Now, this is awesome, ladies. Listen to this. This is a compliment to the believers who were female who were married. Listen to what one pagan writer wrote about Christian women who were married. He said, heavens, what women these Christians have. You know why he said that? Because pagan wives didn't admire them. They didn't affirm them. They didn't appreciate them. And they withheld themselves from their husbands in the physical relationships. That's why so many of the... It was common for men to have a a lover on the side. A concubine. Whatever you want to call such a person. A mistress. Because of their wives unavailability. But when the world looked at those women, they were astonished at those Christian women because of the kind of women they were. Well, enough to you women. I'm going to finish with a quick, encouraging and challenging word, I'm sure, to the men here. What if your wife does not admire you? What if your wife also does not affirm you? What if your wife... The third thing, doesn't appreciate you and she's not affectionate towards you in the way you want and need affection. Is that a grounds for dismissing her? Is it? Either legally or emotionally. Is it? No. Why? What is our calling, men? We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and laid down His life for the church. It's unconditional. And what we need to learn is through the difficulty comes opportunity for us to trust Christ more fully and to grow and to see that Christ is the one who is ultimately sufficient for all our needs. Not to ignore the need that God's built into us and we want to love our wives. We want to have a reciprocal relationship with them. And I'm not just thinking about the physical side. I'm talking about we want this give and take. We want to honor our wives We want to protect them. We want to live in harmony with them. And we can do all that. It's possible. It's not normal. Because if you will do what the Lord says, ordinarily you're going to have a harmonious relationship. But sometimes that's not possible. So what are we to do, men, in situations like this? We're to draw nearer to the Lord. That's what we're to do. And we're going to say, Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? What are you trying to teach me that's in my character that I'm blind to, that you want to refine and make more like you, Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God, for the instruction we receive from Scripture that supersedes any other kind of instruction. And we pray for our wives, Lord. We pray that they would be women who are powered by you, to meet our needs. But we don't want to be selfish about it, Lord. We really want to meet their needs. And it doesn't come naturally for us to honor and to protect and to be in harmony with them. So we ask Your forgiveness, Lord, and help us to be godly husbands for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.